and it covers the book of Ruth. It's interesting, if you are like I, myself and others, you're not just reading the chapter of the story, you're also trying to read the corresponding scriptures. And so for last week, chapter 8 covered the book of Judges, and that was 21 chapters. The week before, covered the book of Joshua, that was 24 chapters. This week, for chapter 9 of the story, it's just the book of Ruth. It's just the four chapters, and we're going to approach the sermon today in a very unique way. You're going to get to hear all of the book of Ruth as one story in four, actually five different parts. Before we get to Ruth, a couple of announcements I need to share. Tonight, great opportunity right here in DeWitt County. Fan the Flame 5 at Little Galilee featuring Remedy Drive. All tickets are just $5. We would love to have you come up. We'd love to have a big walk-up. All the ticket money, once again, is being given away to a wonderful parachurch organization, a, a ministry that is uh, doing a great job in the anti-slavery movement. So come on out tonight, get tickets at the door. We'd love to have you. This Wednesday, Senior Symposium at our church. This is during the Young at Heart Day. The timing is a little different from 8.30 to noon. Now, a lot of people that fit that description of senior would say, well, that's not for me because I'm not old. I'm telling you right now, if you are 60 or older, you will be blessed and you'll get free coffee and donuts and a free chicken dinner. So come on out this Wednesday, Senior Symposium. And this Saturday is the annual men's retreat at Little Galilee. Used to be a Friday night Saturday deal. They've made it just an all-day Saturday. Starts about 9 o'clock. Registration begins at 8.15. I'm going to be there all day. And men, I'd love to have you join me. Little Galilee would love if you sign up ahead of time. But even if you show up on Saturday, they're not going to turn you away. And it's going to be a good time as we dive into God's Word. We eat a lot of food. Uh, bring a shotgun. There's going to be a skeet shooting, all kinds of fun man stuff going on on Saturday at Little Galilee. Where have we been in the story? This is week nine. Up to this point, we've looked at creation. We've looked at the, the fall, the, the terrible, terrible stain of sin, the sting of sin. We've looked at Abraham. We've looked at Joseph. He always chose integrity. Three weeks looking at Moses. Part one, the deliverance, leading God's people from, the, from, from Egypt into uh, the wilderness, as it turns out. Week five, the Ten Commandments. Now, how many of you remember your Ten Commandments? Four commandments deal with our vertical relationship with the Lord. No other gods, no idols, don't misuse the name. Remember the Sabbath day. Six commandments are horizontal. They deal with our relationship with others. Remember them? What's our relationship with others? Honor your father and mother and the do nots. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and do not covet. And we're going to get that in writing for you so you can take it with you. Following the Ten Commandments, Moses part three was week six, the wilderness wanderings. Then we looked week seven at Joshua and the conquest of the promised land. Last week we looked at Judges and uh, the, the up and down of God's people during this 300-year period of time. Some of the judges that we talked about were Deborah and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson. And they were all kind of average people. They, they all had stuff they were dealing with. Gideon dealt with doubt. Jephthah had a strong faith, didn't have much depth. Samson was a moral disaster. But God used them in a great and mighty way. And that should be encouragement to you and to me that God can use us as well. And this week we're looking at the amazing faith of a young foreign woman. Let me give you some quick background information on the book of Ruth. It's the eighth book of the Bible. 
It's during the period of the judges. We don't know when during the period of judges. Again, 300-year time frame. Most commentators say it was either during the period that Gideon was running the show or Jephthah was in charge, but we don't know that for sure. But it's during the period of the Judges. I guesstimate around 1200 B.C., around 1150 B.C. But here's what's really important. It's important that you understand the worldview of the day. And the worldview of the day for God's people is spelled out in the last verse of the book of Judges. It says, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. And when I read that, i got to tell you, I don't think 1200 B.C. I think America 2014. I really do. And so it's with that that we're going to dive into the book of Ruth, and I'm going to talk a lot less today than I normally do, because I've got some awesome young women of faith that are going to read for us, and we're going to read all of the book of Ruth, and we're going to start with Katie Quartz. She's going to come, and she's going to read for us Ruth chapter 1. Read along with us, please. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. 
call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Wow, I love that. And like Katie, that's an emotional passage for me. Every time I read that, every time I think about the love, the commitment that a daughter-in-law had for a mother-in-law, I'm moved to tears. Uh, What did you take from Ruth chapter 1? I gave you a, a place where you could fill in notes, where you could jot down ideas, something that grabbed you. There's four things that I want to flush out from Ruth chapter 1 that I don't want you to miss. And number one is this. Understand, this is an average family in a nowhere village. It's an average family in a nowhere village. Now, some of you are saying, what do you mean, nowhere, nowhere village? Have you not heard of the Christmas story? Aren't you ready for Christmas? How many days till Christmas? We're ready to go. This is Bethlehem before it was really Bethlehem. At this point, in this time, 1200, 1150 B.C., it's a nowhere village in the middle of nowhere. And this is an average family, and I love that. I love that God is using and going to use average, ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Don't ever buy the lie that you're a nobody. Don't ever buy the lie that you have to be mighty and powerful and wealthy in order to do great things for the Lord. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary plans and dreams and goals. That's number one. Second, did you notice the name Orpah? Did that sound like anybody in our world today that we know? How about Oprah Winfrey? Now this really has nothing to do with Ruth chapter 1. I just find it fascinating Oprah's mom named her Orpah. And there's two different stories about what played out. Some people say she misspelled the name. The hospital misspelled the name on the birth certificate. Her mother claims, no, it was Orpah. But everyone kept calling her Oprah. And we just gave up after a while. But it was this woman in Ruth chapter 1 that Oprah Winfrey's mother named probably the most famous woman in in our world today. Definitely the the wealthiest woman in our world today after Ruth chapter 1. Number three, did you notice the pain, the tragedy, the the agony that Naomi and her daughters-in-law experienced? I would call this a storm of life. And and there's no uh, soft coating how, how awful this situation is. Naomi loses her husband, and then she loses both of her sons. And what you have playing out here is a a woman and her two daughter-in-laws trying to make it in a male-dominated world, a male-dominated society. And so she's heartbroken. She's devastated. She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means beautiful. She says, call me Mara. means bitterness. She said, I'm bitter. My life was great. And now my life's a disaster. Have you ever been there? Have you ever looked at your life and said, man, five years ago was awesome. Five months ago was awesome. Five days ago was awesome. And I'm just miserable. I'm just bitter. I'm mad at God. Why did this have to unfold in this manner? If you've been there, number one, you're not alone. But there's lessons for us to learn 
on how Naomi dealt with her heartbreak, how she dealt with the tragedies, the storms of life that came her way. And the final thing, and this is obvious, I can't get past the commitment that we see from Ruth to her mother-in-law. And this would be a great place to insert the mother-in-law joke. I'm not going to do that this morning. You can do that in your own mind if you want to. I would say this is a model, not just of mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, but, but of all relationships. When I officiate weddings, I've started quoting Ruth 1, 16 and 17, because it is just a beautiful, beautiful description of one person's commitment to another. Ruth chapter 1. If there's a key word, there's a lot of words that could jump out. I, I like the word faith. Because even in the midst of heartbreak, Naomi doesn't walk away from God. She's not happy. She's not doing the happy dance, oh, happy day, but she doesn't throw away her faith. And that's a lesson for 2014 followers of Jesus Christ. Too many times the storms of life come our way and we want to say, God, I'm done with you and walk. And Naomi did not do that. It's a great picture of faith. Let's continue on reading in Ruth chapter 2. And I'm going to ask Ashley Oakley if she will come and read Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jugs the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord blessed him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is our own kinsman redeemer. Then Ruth and Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, 
It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. All right, Ruth chapter 2. There's a lot that we could tackle. I'm just going to give you three concepts I want to talk about. The first is that word to glean. What does that mean to glean? Um, In the law, the Lord set it up as a provision to the poor and the the oppressed, the needy, that when farmers would go through their field and they would harvest, they could only go through one time. They couldn't go through multiple times and, and, and pick up the leftovers. That was the process of gleaning the second time through, the third time through. This was designed for people that couldn't provide for themselves, the poor and the oppressed. And it's in Leviticus chapter 19, Deuteronomy chapter 24. You see this command to only go through your harvest field one time. So, so that's number one. Number two, what about the amount, an effa? How much is an effa? Anybody know? Anybody know? It's about three-fifths of a bushel. Now, that probably does something for you farmers, people like me that grew up in the city. I don't even really know what that means. Let me bring it down to our level. About 22 liters of barley was gathered. That is an incredible, incredible amount for one woman going through the fields, gleaning to gather on her own. Now, I think Boaz played a part in this. I think he, he knows what's going on. He's got his eye on Ruth. But it's an incredible, incredible blessing. That's why Naomi is so overjoyed when Ruth comes home with 22 liters of crop. Wow! What a blessing! What an incredible, incredible blessing. Who, who was the person that blessed you? Who owned the field? Oh, this guy named Boaz? What a coincidence! We're related to him. He is a close relative. Can I just throw that in there? That, that the longer I'm around Jesus... The longer I'm around the church, the longer I spend time in God's word, the less I believe in coincidence. And the more I believe that our God is an awesome God and his hand is on our lives, sometimes when we least expect it, many times when we need it most. And so just take that for what it's worth. You could say, ah, that's silly, coincidence all over the place. That's fine. You can believe that. I'm telling you, I believe less and less in coincidence every year. Third term, and this is huge, it's that term kinsman redeemer. Now, I need to say, if you are reading your Bible on a tablet, iPhone, iPad, or you're using the story, chapter 9 of the story, or you have an NIV 2011 Bible, you're not going to find that term kinsman redeemer. You're going to find the term guardian redeemer. NIV, when they updated their translation in 2011, changed the Hebrew translation from kinsman redeemer to guardian redeemer. I'm bitter, I'm angry, I want to punch a wall, I don't like it at all, but I don't want you to be trying to find that term. This term kinsman redeemer, I think is one of the richest terms in the entire Bible. And I want to go to a great resource, the Essential Bible Companion. Some of you have this from when we went through the Bible in 90 days. If you don't have it, we're going to order another batch of these huge resource to help you understand the background. Here's what they say about this term, kinsman redeemer. It says, in Israelite society, responsibility for the well-being of the members of the clan and protection of the clan's property lay with the clan. A kinsman redeemer would arrange for the freedom of those who'd been reduced to the status of debt slave and would arrange to reclaim land belonging to the clan. It was a way of providing for those who had become disenfranchised 
and destitute. And again, we read this account in 2014 and we say, well, she can just go get food stamps. The government will take care of her. You can just go to your church and the food pantry. Our food pantry is open every Monday and Thursday. 1200 B.C., 1150 B.C., if you experience the tragedy that Naomi and Ruth experienced, uh, you are in a world of hurt. And you needed someone to step up. And it was the responsibility of the clan to step up and redeem those who were oppressed. And that's exactly what is at play here. If there's a key word in Ruth chapter 2, it's the word grace. When I read Ruth chapter 2, I love the thought of God's grace pouring out on hurting people. How does that connect with us today? How many times have you got on your knees and said, God, I thank you so much for your grace because I'm a sinner and I fall short and I mess up. And just when I think I figured it all out and I'm above that, I'm right back in it again. Praise God for God's grace. Let's move on to Ruth chapter 3 and Leanne Sossman is going to come and read chapter 3 for us. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When he did so, when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Have you ever noticed in the Bible all the different schemes that unfold? You've got Abraham telling Sarah, pretend that you're not my wife, but you're what, my sister? You've got Rebecca taking her son Jacob, saying, pretend that you're Esau, we're going to trick your dad, he can't see. A lot of the schemes are diabolical. 
uh, the borderline evil. This is what I would call a holy scheme, a holy scheme being put into place. And, and Naomi realizes that God's uh, provision, God's providence is unfolding, but she's not going to let this opportunity pass. And so she says, you know, Boaz in the middle of harvest, he's going to be eating, he's going to be drinking, he's going to be happy, he's going to go to sleep. Here's how the, the plan is going to unfold. Ready, get set, and go. Now this next phrase, spread the corner of your garment over me. Ruth asked Boaz to do that. You may be saying, what's that about? Well, during this time, during this culture, that was a way for a man to say to a woman, I would like to marry you. Notice that it's Ruth that suggests that Boaz does that. Now if Boaz says, oh my goodness, I'm out of here, I don't ever want to see you again, it's not going to happen. But there is an attraction and more than likely, need to throw this in here, Boaz is significantly older than Ruth. So it's not, a, you know, it's not something that we see on TV on a reality show with really ridiculously well-cut men and beautiful model-like women. We don't know if that's playing out here, but more than likely, Boaz is much, much older than Ruth. But there's a love. There's an attraction. And God's hand is once again at work. Let's read part of Ruth 4. Rachel Lyons is going to come right now. Before I do that, I've got to give you your key word, love. Let's hear it. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are your witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. It, it's a great plan, except for the fact there is another kinsman redeemer that is more closely related than Boaz. So Boaz basically has to, you know, have, have a town meeting, a, a village gathering, and, and lay it all out. And he says to this kinsman redeemer, we don't know his name, but he says, it's yours to redeem if you want. He's all for it. And then Boaz says, I'm not letting it go this quickly. 
You're going to have to uh, acquire the widow, and you're going to have another woman in the house, and all this is going to be playing out. And at that, the kinsman redeemer says, no, thank you. What I find interesting about Ruth chapter 4, a couple things, it's interesting to me how they sealed a transaction. And, And I don't think this is playing out in American culture today. Can you imagine someone taking off their shoe and giving you their shoe to seal the transaction? But that's exactly what played out during this day. Boaz is making sure that nothing gets in the way of being with Ruth and serving as kinsman redeemer. But here's the second thing, huge takeaway. An outsider, no more. Ruth will marry Boaz. I love the emphasis on marriage in the book of Ruth. How many of you received a bulletin today? Did you receive a bulletin today? In your bulletin, you should have this little card here that says D8NT, and it took me like a week to figure out what that means. That means date night, in case you're trying to figure that out. One of the things that we are wanting to do is promote healthy marriage at First Christian Church. And so we are challenging all married couples, if you got kids, if you don't have kids, if your kids are long gone, we want everyone to have a date night, Friday night, November 14th. Now, if you have kids that need to be cared for, you can bring them to the church that night from 6 to 9, and Cody and crew are going to have a whole program planned for them. Marriage matters. I read the book of Ruth, marriage matters. We want marriages to to thrive and to grow and to develop, and here's a great opportunity. I'd love to see 100 couples be able to say, we're doing date night on Friday, November 14th. What's the key word in Ruth 4? It's the word hope. Well, before we wrap up today, I want to leave you with some, I'm going to call them teaching points, some connecting points. When I read the book of Ruth, I'm reminded that, number one, bad things happen to God's people. Storms of life will visit. And here's the point. How you handle the storms of life ultimately define your future. How you handle the storms. Some of you, it's been a tough 2014. Some of you, October was an awful month. How we handle the storms of life will help define our future. Number two, the loyalty of Ruth toward her mother-in-law. It's almost unheard of, and I'm reminded I need a Ruth in my life, and you need a Ruth in your life. Now, before we talk about do you have a Ruth in your life, who are you to a person in the way of a Ruth? Are you a Ruth to someone? Do the words of chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Does that define your heart, your spirit toward a friend or friends? Everyone needs a Ruth. When you're at your best, they're there. When you're at your worst, they're there. Everyone needs a Ruth. Number three, I I can't read this without being reminded that the providence and the sovereignty of God, it's obvious in the lives of Ruth and Naomi, but it's working in our lives as well. No more coincidences. God's providence, God's sovereignty is at work. And then number four, the grace of God toward outsiders. It's not just a post-Jesus happening. It's alive and well in 1200 B.C. It's alive and well in 1150 B.C. And praise God for that. When I read the, the book of Ruth, and I considered that Ruth was from Moab, and Moab was an enemy of God's people. In fact, early in the book of Judges, it was the Moabites that oppressed God's people for a period of several years. My guess is many of the Israelites hated the Moabites. 
They hated him. And now Naomi's son has married a Moabite? And God uses an outsider to accomplish his purpose in a great and mighty way. Let's conclude our journey through the book of Ruth. Rachel's going to come back and tell us, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Ruth was redeemed by Boaz. He was her kinsman redeemer. We can't close this morning without reinforcing the idea that if we're followers of Christ, we've been redeemed as well by, by another kinsman redeemer, a better kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, through the blood of a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter puts it like this, you know that it was not with perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So what do you take from the book of Ruth? Well, Ruth's loyalty to her mother-in-law, it's a model for all of us. But see that because of that loyalty, the Lord blessed her with an incredible, incredible legacy. Did, did you hear the genealogy that Rachel led, read? From Boaz, to Obed, to Jesse, to David. If you have some spare time this week, turn to Matthew chapter 1 and read the genealogy. And you'll see right there in the genealogy of Jesus Christ is an average woman who married into an average family, foreigner from Moab, part of the line, all the way to Jesus Christ. And so next week we'll continue on with chapter 10 of the story. We'll be looking at 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 15 and the incredible account of Hannah, her son Samuel, and Saul, first king of Israel. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And I thank you for this service. I thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to praise your name and to read your word, all of your word. And it's my prayer, Father, that as we move toward our time of commitment, that you will work in our lives and you'll work in our heart. And for some of us, it's that storms of life that we talked about. It's got the best of us. For some of us, it's wrestling with the idea that we feel like an outsider. We don't feel like we're on the, the, the end club. And for some of us, it's just being reminded the blessing of being redeemed by Jesus Christ. That even though we're sinners and we've missed the mark and we fall short of your glory, Jesus loved us anyway. Jesus redeemed us anyway when he went to the cross and became the one time for all time sacrifice. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's commitment time as it is every week at our church. And if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, Marsha and the crew are going to lead us in a song of commitment. And I invite you to come forward. I'd love to have the opportunity to 
to talk with you about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Maybe you want prayer. I'm up front. I'd love to have the chance to pray with you as we stand and Marshall leads us and the team leads us.